0: Welcome to the Overcoming Adversity podcast, where it's all about a transformation growth and having a resilient mindset. Before we get started today, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. I'm your host, Michael Allison. Today we have on the show a phenomenal guest. She's a really good friend of mine. Her name is Felicity Nicole. She's a speaker, a coach, and a best-selling author. Her book, Piece of Me, is a book that tells a little bit about her memoir about some of the things that she experienced as a kid and some of the things she experienced through her marriage. Let's welcome to the show, my really good friend, Miss Felicity Nicole.
1: Michael, thank you for having me. This is going to be good.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much for being with me. You know, we were talking behind stage about your story and how phenomenal that that it is. And I was just blown away. So thank you so much for being here. Let's hop into it. So, yeah, let's let's, actually, let's just hop into the book. Uh, Tell us a little bit about the book. Uh, What inspired you to write this book and how did you make it become a bestseller?
1: Yeah. I, oh my, international
0: bestseller. <laughs>
1: Let's not forget that. I'm absolutely.
0: Like, absolutely.
1: Crazy. I'm like, thank you, Lord. <laughs> um, you know, I grew up a childhood trauma survivor, domestic, which, uh, domestic violence, like I was literally, and I thought it was normal. And so what inspired me to write this book was my parents in 2013 died three months apart from each other. And when my mom passed away in June, I knew I needed to start writing my story because what I endured from childhood up to that point, there's a bigger reason to my why. And Mm -hmm. so I had to start putting something on paper and that's where the writer begins is you just start brain dumping. Um, I grew up in a family where my dad had a duality. He was full-time at the railroad and then his nighttime job. Yeah, he was a bit, uh, bridge and building foreman for a Chicagoland railroad and a very handsome Hispanic man. And <laughs> yeah, his nighttime job, he was an enforcer. So he brought a lot of blood back to my family. And wow. when I was 10, I don't remember him. And I say that in the book, I don't remember many memories of him being around, which is odd. Um, so I'm assuming it, it is very telltale truth of what my mom had stated that he just was very um, in and out. I always think of that song, Papa is a Rolling Stone. And I'm telling I love it. But that's my dad. And he's in peace. But that that was my dad, because he was just never around but what pivotal point was i witnessed my father at the age of 10 attempt to kill my mom i walked into the chaos cuz us kids i'm 1 of 4 my sister is 11 years older than i am so my mom and dad had her when they were 16
0: wow
1: yeah yeah at, and at that's a super what, young age wow yeah and my mom and it's so funny cuz i put it in the book that my grandmother who's a war bride blames I love Lucy. (laughs) I know. To this day, I'm like, okay. I'm like, man, seriously? She goes, that show, she should never have had her watch it. I'm like, oh my God. (laughs) Get over it. It happened. They had kids. They got married. It is what it is. We were brought in for, I'm a believer that we come in with soul contracts. So we Mm. come in to serve a purpose in this life. And, and, If we get it right this time, then we maybe we'll have a better life next time. I'm one of those. I'm an empath, spiritual healer. I'm studying to become a shaman. So when my dad attempted that and I walked in on that to see my mom on the floor with her head split just wide open and all this blood pouring out. I knew that the average response would be from a 10 year old, probably would be a little chaotic and, Oh my God, my mom, my mom, what happened? You know, Mm -hmm. however, my response was I grabbed a bunch of toilet paper and I walked over to her and I just started to dab the blood away. And I said, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay.
0: You know, you're the second person that told me about being an empath and It's crazy enough that you tell me that, but their mom experienced a traumatic experience too during their passing and they did something, I guess unorthodox in regards to like a reaction compared to what the normal person you think would do. So to hear that, it's actually um, not surprising, but surprising to hear that and think of what someone would do, especially at 10 years old, that's your Mm -hmm. mom. To see you um, in this particular state, um, that's actually um, unbelievable. So you experienced some traumatic things. You have one of four kids. And knowing, we we spoke a little bit about like me being on the railroad and working on the railroad, and I know what that experience is like, as it, it is a grueling, uncalling type of job. And to have a father And a mom in a household where you know that i guess typically you're supposed to grow up in a household where there's love there's nurturing and these types of things that's supposed to take place and unfortunately it seems like that may may not have been your experience can you talk a little bit more in regards to what was it like for you as a kid seeing that and your interaction and your daily upbringing in regards to like going to school with your friends engaging with your friends engaging with your siblings engaging with family members to see you guys come over and talk to you guys what was that like for you guys
1: yeah that's an awesome question um because i thought it was norm but after that incident my mom shut down emotionally and mentally so she was emotionally unavailable for us three kids because my sister was an adult by now Mm-hmm. Um so I explain our household in the book like Lord of the Flies it was very much who was going to fight for the hierarchy. Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate circumstance about that was there was nobody to um form a family unit or or put a consequence to the behaviors that did exist. Now um, I write it with the utmost compassion, but the reality of it is, we were a bunch of kids that didn't know how to filter what was going on emotionally, so we took it out on each other, to the point to where I would would just be beaten up, and you call it brother sister rivalry, but would just I, my my ass would be kicked all the time, and it was <laughs> it was considered normal. My mom would say, "You had it coming." That's what it's like living with brothers and there was nobody to protect me. And so my nickname in my household, my family is Wheezy. So Wheezy didn't have anybody to protect her. <laughs> we didn't have anybody to grow her and tell her like, this isn't right or, or what's going on. So uh, we were poor too. I remember the government cheese They <laughs> punk the government cheese sandwiches for school. Um, but in relation to friends and things like that, we were, we, were, we were good hoodlums. We grew up in the south suburbs of Chicago. We were, we were brash. We were loud. We played football. We played baseball. We played army. Uh, you know, She eventually put us in a private school in the next town over because she just thought we needed better education. And that's when my eyes opened up to like, whoa, this is what families are like. We um. were going to a friend's house and staying for dinner. and I had to have been about fifth fifth or sixth grade and we're sitting around their dining room table. Well, in their kitchen. And I'm like, really? And then there's napkins. <laughs> and you're talking to one another. It was just like bizarre world, but that was my like first experience. And I glued myself to myself, Helen friends, because mm. I love that. I love, I love to see that because I didn't get that at home.
0: So I'm going to take it that you grew up a tough cookie.
1: Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Seeing all that stuff. I-, I just knew that you have a, a thick skin and you could probably yeah. take a lot and deal with a lot when it comes to, um, just some physical things but i wanted to talk about mentally and emotionally how did that affect you growing up and i know you you spoke about it in your book but if you could share with our audience for someone that may be a kid that's experiencing that right now or something like that what was that experience like for you and what emotions were you dealing with and did you think that was normal in regards to like masking it or how did you How did you express yourself when you were dealing with these types of things?
1: So the expression was through, was just through the anger and the hostility with one another in the family. That's Mm -hmm. how we express it. I I believe the emotion was completely lost. So I was lost. I had no direction. I didn't know who I was. I didn't have anybody to help direct me. Um, I had some good teachers that believed in me, but that was about it in regards to filtering that emotion i wouldn't actually start tapping into that until my mid-30s wow i know i i went complete this is normal and i speak about this in the book about you know your generational trauma because my mom married an abuser and we come from a narcissistic family where everybody was put into a box and so i was Coin the child that wasn't going to go anywhere. Mm. I was the one that was always causing trouble. I was the one that dropped out of high school. It's just Felicity, ignore her. I mean that, you know, just ignore her, just ignore her, when those are cries for help. And I would push that envelope as a cry for help. And she just kept ignoring it. So um, I'm going somewhere with this. What? impacted me the most was that groomed me into my first marriage which was that repeating pattern with my first, it was my first husband was a severe alcoholic bipolar and i then too repeated my mom's pattern i was married to an abuser
0: oh my god yeah okay um it seems like i'm hearing some of these uh similar uh stories where there's a pattern. And mm-hmm. it seems like if if a child experienced something as a child, right, when they get to becoming adulthood, they attract themselves to these types of people that uh they've encountered as a youth. And, and I'm saying that it doesn't even have to be a parent, it could have been like a abuser, where mm-hmm. whether it was outside of the household, whether it was uh from a church or something like that. It seems like those types of patterns continue to to replicate itself. I wanted to talk a little bit about your transition into womanhood and getting into the phase of being married. So you married a guy that you said was an alcoholic and an abuser, and this is something that you've seen as a child. Mm -hmm. I wanted to, if you could talk a little bit about how does one get into a relationship with someone Do you knowingly know this or or you not know this? And I say this because I've spoken to people before where the person up front told them that this is who I am, this is what I do, love me, whatever it may be, and they still accept it. So that's why I'm asking that question.
1: Yes. And pay attention, ladies, because I'm going to be completely transparent and this is a lesson. So I was lonely. I was so lonely by that point. And I was actually on like straight near a path, going to school, working great jobs, finishing up a degree. The only missing key was I was craving that intimacy and connection with a partner. And so when I met him, it was like instantaneous. Like you said, energies are going to connect where we've, and I'm up, I'm a healer. I'm going to school to be a shaman, so this is perfect. Energy will connect. And so we connected and it was instantaneous connection. And with two months, I was pregnant with my son and I was like, what the hell? I knew he drank, but I grew up with all the guys and I thought it was like the guys, like I didn't notice, you know, they're kicking back beers. It's, I didn't notice anything different. However, in the back of my head, I did. I chose to not recognize it. Why? Because I did not want to be lonely. So ladies, I mean, if that's not one of the hardest, so God's like, okay, sister, I'm going to put you on a road. You're choosing this. You're going to be put on a, you're going to be put on a road. And it was like, here's your cross. I hope you can carry it. Because it was by far one of the hardest 11 years of my life.
0: Well, I can only imagine. So being in this situation, I I guess I'm thinking, if I could picture myself in your situation a little bit, (laughs) Um, did you have girlfriends? Did you have friends or anybody like that in your circle? Did they encourage you to stay in this relationship or did they say, you need to get the hell out of this? This is not where you belong. That sort of thing. Was there anybody inside of your ears or inside of your circle that was talking to you about being in this type of relationship?
1: Yes. So my sister-in-law was the one that said to me, and it's in the book, she goes, you know, you don't have to marry him. Cause when I was pregnant, my mom kicked me out. She's like, you just got to go. And so I, I, I moved in with him. I didn't know where else mm-hmm. to go. And so Kimmy had told me, she's like, you know, you don't have to marry him. And, um, I had some other friends that said, you know, keep your options open. But then there was that fragment of, you know, I'm pregnant. I do love him. And guess what? I'm an empath. And what do empaths want to do? We want to fix. Yes. Another lesson. We can't do that. They want to, uh, especially with an alcoholic, you're going to turn blue in the face and drown. <laughs> you know?
0: That's crazy. So having a son and you was raising him in this situation, was there a situation or scenario or a red flag where you said like, this was the turning point for us and for me and my son, where we need to get out of this situation?
1: Yeah, there were a couple. So I did attempt. It takes a lot of courage because what happens is, um, unfortunately when you married to somebody who's a domestic violence abuser, they immediately start to break you down mentally. So right mm-hmm. away there was financial control. Um, I didn't have access to that. And I was then starting to be torn apart mentally. You know, you're overweight, you're unattractive, you can't get a job. It costs more for daycare you know, things like that. How would you survive on your own? You're gonna fall on your face. So there were many attempts where I did move back home with my mom and dad, and um, he would promise to clean himself up. And so that's that cycle that happens. And then you go into the honeymoon phase and then things fall back into, and then you go back into the honeymoon phase. And I can remember the last time was my dad actually handing me the money. And he said, look, just go file. We're all tired here. Just go file. (laughs) (laughs) And I filed, I filed. And I I think I lived with my parents for about six months. And um, I did see my ex clean his act up. He did himself in AA and um, went sober. He was bipolar. He refused to do the medication and he tried. And he made a promise to my parents that he wouldn't do that again. so at that moment in my life, and I think every woman would be able to share this experience, I think the ultimate goal is to keep the family unit together. Mm -hmm. The ultimate goal is to just as much as possible work through whatever is going on and keep your family unit together. And I did my best job to protect that little one from everything that went on. I mean, if it meant for us going for long walks, if it meant for us to go spend the night at grandma's house for the night, in the middle of the night, just because, you know, he was little, he didn't know at the time. Right. Um, Just to not expose him to some of the bipolar alcoholic craziness that was happening but ultimately in my heart, I just wanted to keep that family unit together. That's just how I, that's, that's just, who I am. And there came a point though, where you you just can't, you can no longer do it. You gotta I, choose your I, life. I,
0: I absolutely agree agree or understand with um, some of the things that you did. I, I think about my situation as you're sharing your story, you know, I, I told you that um, I've been married three times now and divorced twice <laughs> and, um, my uh, first um, experience of being married, uh, we tried uh, counseling, tried to make it work, and obviously it did not um, through many different um, routes through the church, through uh, counseling sessions, you name it. And eventually we did go our own separate ways. Um, but we did make it a point to agree to raise our son. Our son is now 15 years old, doing exceptionally well and things like that. And then for my second marriage, I was in a uh, blended uh, relationship and uh, that was a new a new challenge for myself as well and uh, eventually after six months uh, we actually uh, went through a divorce separated and uh, we kind of went through the same same uh, process in regards to trying to get help and trying to work on ourselves work on myself as well i was not perfect at that moment you know Mm
1: -hmm. and
0: but i said third marriage because we did remarry and uh, now we're back together so it worked out um at the end of the day. Felicity, you said something super, super interesting. I'm not sure if you court yourself when you said this, but you said that you went back to your parents and your parents decided to help you out. And that told me that things change with your dad.
1: Yes, let's talk about it. Yes. Things
0: change with your dad. Yes. So you share some, something traumatic that you've seen as a kid with your mom and your dad. And all of a sudden you went back to mom and dad for them to help you when you got into your situation. And there's so much things here that, that I want to unpack from this story, but can you tell me a little bit about the transformation with your dad, your mom, because you also spoke about them passing three months apart. So if you could talk and share a little bit more about that story, because that sounds so fascinating.
1: Oh my God, I get the chills because you've got this, this, this man that just disappears for 12 years. And I remember a phone call to my mom going, Anita, I think I fucked up this time. <laughs> and I remember her in the kitchen doing dishes going, I don't know tell you, Michael, you need to figure this out. He goes, no, this is serious. Mm-hmm. Like I And so whatever happened. And later in the book, I share about it. Um, He moved back closer to us. He bought a four-unit condo building in the town over. And what I speak about that story with my father is I learned about redemption. Mm. God gives everybody a second chance. Yes. He gave this man that turned his back on his family when we didn't have food on the table and would come, come over with a wad of cash and give my mom maybe 20 bucks you know, and, and redemption and he threw himself into God and he Mm -hmm. threw himself into family and he, it it amazes me to see the transformation. Um, He had a second chance at it. He got to enjoy his grandchildren. He tried his best to make it, to remake it good with my mom. You could say like, whatever you need, Anita, I'm here for you, but my mom still had that wall up and do you blame her? no 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 yeah Yeah. she still had that wall up he would come over he would fix stuff whatever do you need money do you need this i mean he attempted to make it good to the point to where michael it gets really funny um i want to say my son was probably about three or four and i get a phone call from my dad and i'm like what's up dad and he's like guess what happened today and i'm like what he's like your mom and i got married i'm like (laughs) I'm like what? Well, it's only for legal reasons. I'm retired, and I I want to make sure that I can get both pen both pensions from the railroad, wow. and I want to make sure your mom is set up. She wow. needs to be taken care of. And so, I, I dysfunctional family hang up, and I call. I'm like Anita do you have something to tell me? You got some news to tell me? And she's like, shut the hell up, Felicity. (laughs) (laughs) So they lived separate lives. He lived in a town over, but he was over every day. What do you need? I'm going to the grocery store. What do you need fixed? My mom's house was this little dumpy house that she made into a beautiful home for us kids. Mm -hmm. And she died in that little dumpy house. And that will forever be home to me. And you make me cry now. But um, whatever she needed he did his best to make it happen for her and it was beautiful to see that metamorphosis and i speak about it because he struggled with um hepatitis c for about 11 about 11 years so there was some needle use back in the 60s you know that was that was pretty hot back then and he developed hepatitis c and he treated it holistically and they missed a nodule during one of his routine exams that turned into liver cancer. And you know, towards the end of his passing, it was intense. It was a good 72 hours of intense death. He had he had, he had a lot of faces to face, I think. And he openly admitted prior to him dying um, that he was afraid of death and that he told me during one of our lunches out that, if he didn't pay a certain man back the $120,000 that he would have been killed. So he's like, I paid it back, you know? And I remember when my dad was on his deathbed, that man coming to see my father. And I remember just standing there in the doorway like this, just looking at this man as he's hovering over my dad. And I could just feel his energy because I'm an empath, you know? Not a good man.
0: Say what?
1: <laughs> yeah. He wanted to pay his respects. Yeah. And I'm like, I know exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm like, you can go now. You can, you're, wow, you can go to now. It's to <laughs> Please. It was interesting. Yeah. But it was. It's beautiful if you think about it because I and my I really do think might because for a pass away through you know I, I do I think she loved him I think it was just it's the pain that happened in the relationship and she never she never addressed it she never unpacked it she never sought help she didn't right. drink she didn't date she worked and she smoked and she drank coffee that was it and so seeing that taught me that. I need to live and I need to live to my fullest and I need to push myself as far as I can because I don't want to be in that box of, of fear. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: So what, what would you say are some of the key lessons that your parents taught you as you've seen them traumatically leave uh, this earth, but you've seen, you've seen a good bit. (laughs) You've seen a good (laughs) bit. What, What are some lessons that you you would have as some key takeaways from your parents?
1: Oh my God. Therapy (laughs) is number one. Like, (laughs) and I can't preach that enough to my clients. I think everybody should be in therapy, whether, you know, life is good or not. Um, The other one is 100% redemption. And the other one, too, is the ability to forgive because I don't think she forgave him, she just Uh held on to that which caused that dis-ease in her body. She held that. you should be able to forgive.
0: So let's transition a little bit here. So we spoke a good bit about some childhood trauma, some things that you experienced with your mommy and dad, and then your relationship with your uh, past relationship. Inside of your book, I know that you want your readers to get some lessons, some nuggets and some key takeaways that it could apply to their lives. If you could share a little bit based off of your transformation to like where you're at now today, I could see a completely different person that's glowing, that's shining, that's happy, that's doing tremendously well and successful. So what are some things, some key takeaways from your book that uh, you shared that you could uh, uh, just express here with our audience?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think we ultimately need to believe in ourselves, regardless of what people tell us, brainwash us, or want us to be. And I always preach, become the person that you want to be, not the person that you're groomed into being. And from the transformation part is just learning to believe in yourself. I had to rebuild myself mentally, just to even get the courage to to move out with $45 to my name. Um, and not tell him and begin to really work on myself. And Michael, just like you, I've got complex PTSD. I, I've i done the work. Mm-hmm. It no longer controls me. I, I mean, triggers will always pop up. We right, right, right. But it, they, we know how to handle them differently. Yeah. It, it takes a lot of work to rebuild yourself. There's a lot of spiritual work. Uh, That's the foundation, is to tap into your faith. You have to have some sort of spiritual practice. And I preach to my clients, I don't care if it's God, universe, source, just no devil worship, you know, just no darkness, just something that you can turn to because times are going to get tough at every point in your life, no matter how high or how low. And you need to learn to lean into something. And so for me it's god and i built that strong foundation and then from there was the just the deep therapy i mean just like you said when you went to rush i i've gone cognitive i've done the the tapping um i've had the stella gangula injections uh-huh.
0: i yeah oh man you're you're uh, speaking to me right now i i just thought about some of my experiences. And when I got out of the service, you know, I, I bottled so much emotions, so many feelings, so many deep, dark things that that was just kind of like a, a bag of luggage <laughs> that I was taking with me my entire life. And and that's what brought me to my breaking point. And it was not until I decided to invest in myself and uh, put in that work and i have a friend of mine that uh talks to me he calls it dark work and you just got to put in that (laughs) just put in that work man and uh work on yourself and gain so much clarity and awareness in regards to like finding your true identity and knowing who you are what you stand for what are your values what are your standards um some of your core principles that you that you need to align yourself with in regards to like getting to the destination that you're trying to get for your life so man i um all right so (laughs) i i could go down a rabbit hole when it comes to talking about um,
1: when it comes
0: to some of this healing journey and things like that for yourself when you decided to go on this healing journey and go on this path of uh, self-discovery and break away from any limiting beliefs any um any of these baggage that you was carrying with you can you give a little bit more insight? I know we just spoke about it, but can you give a little bit more insights in regards to what you did if someone is listening to this podcast that could have some key takeaways in regards to when you was going through post-traumatic stress disorder, you said, I'm gonna do this. When I was going through a divorce, I was gonna go through this. When when um, when I when unforgiveness uh, came into my life, I had to start doing this. Can you talk a little bit more about some of those types of yeah,
1: things? Let's take it layer by layer. Let's do it. <laughs> Yeah, because when you're going through a healing journey, it's like an onion. It's Mm -hmm. layer by layer. So post-divorce, it was just about rediscovering who I was, learning how to put makeup on, learning what my values are, what I wanted to become, what I wanted in my life. You know, integrity, trust, unconditional love, um, things like that. And then you know things are rocking and rolling things are going great right you know right. i'm who I, i'm who i am right right this <laughs> is great and then i get remarried in a blended family and kaboom god hits me again about 4 years ago with another unpack because it was wow. layers and that's where i unpack the real deal and i preach a lot about what are you willing to sacrifice in order to yeah. become who you truly are in the most peaceful, unconditionally loved, godlike way? Because you're gonna have maybe some toxic people in your life. And sometimes we have to, unfortunately, we love them, but we have to turn away from them. And mm-hmm. um, as we grow, you're gonna see those people drift away because right. we're we're elevating. And so for me, when I was growing, during the post-divorce and then definitely during the engagement in the marriage part, I saw my family's true colors come out and God bless them. I speak about it. I'm a no contact. I had to turn my back. They tried to, um, probably about two or three years ago when I had to send my son away to his own residential treatment facility to, to deal with his depression and, Mm -hmm. and stuff. And I have a 15 year old. Um, my sister basically tried to take him from me saying I was incapable of raising him. Oh and my then God. It, yes. At that point, my hu- current husband, who's 17 years older is like, wait, now you're stepping on my toes. And that's not cool. Like this is we're doing, because I have exhausted all my options here.
0: Right, right,
1: Yeah. And he went and did his unpacking and came home. But you do, you, I, you have to go to those limits so you can live, you breathe. You can live free. I still love my family. I still will have contact with my little brother and his wife, but um I just, I can't have that because once you walk in, that door's open. They're going to put you right back on that box. And I'm no longer who I am now. I'm back to
0: It's, 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 it. it's interesting. Me and, me and a mentor Amon's, um, Chris Howell, we're talking uh, about like as you as you evolve and you continue to progress and you continue to get to different levels, um, if people are not progressing with you, they either come to the level of uh disgruntleness or it's gonna come with a level of aware you're gonna have to be much more self-aware and see who's for you and who's against you and he even added to that he's he's always talking to me like the power of saying no and knowing when to say yes to things and saying no to certain types of things and he loves this word uh, he's taught me is like who is in alignment with you when it comes to like the power of no so when you when things are not in, in alignment with like where you're trying to go you need to ask your question is this in alignment with what i'm trying to do is this person in alignment with what i'm trying to do and if it's not you need to make some tough decisions and it sounds like that's what you were doing And the other thing that you mentioned was family. And that's a tough barrier that some of us won't let go or is not willing to let go because of, it's hard. hard. You know, at at some particular point, sometimes these are, you could shed friends. (laughs) But, But when it comes to family and things like that, they're the ones out for the funeral for the get-togethers for the um, birthdays for the weddings you name it they're involved you know what i mean so it's hard to shed that can I you how, how did you get past saying i'm gonna have to make some of these decisions for myself and not worry about what other people think
1: it was i had to protect myself and my son because i knew that they're it's poison they're poison it's poison
0: hmm
1: my son opened up during his experience in Utah and openly admitted that when he would stay at my sister's house, because at one point I was working three jobs when I was oh, wow. single, that um, they would talk bad about me. And mm. that's where he kind of created a lot of his resentment towards me. Wow. Yes, So we knew that they were that they're poison. Um so I'm not saying I don't love them. I just know that they're poison. And yes, they are not in alignment. And I work with King Solomon. He's one of my spirit guides. And it's to the point now that if that person's not meant to be in my life, they're just plucked out. You're like, you're just plucked out. Like, I don't even have to worry about it. I don't even have to ask the question. They just vanish. And it's so nice when you elevate that high. But it is the hardest decision to make because you are going to feel You're going to feel lost. You're going to feel orphaned. You're going to want to crave. You're going to crave family. And you're going to cry about it. And you're going to try and make new family. And slowly but surely, I trust God's plan. And I know that I will have new family because I speak about it. I'm very transparent in the book. I don't have a relationship with my stepkids. I love my stepkids dearly. I love them both. They're adults. But I don't have a relationship with them. One's in Montana, so it's a little hard, and the other one's close by, and I had to reparent her when she was living with us, and I can have mm-hmm. a ghetto parent in me, you know? So <laughs> I, I had a 30-year-old. Like, we need to get together. We, she need to become a woman. We need to teach her how to do bills. Like, no, mom and dad did not do that, so I had mm-hmm. to do that, and I'm, I'm rough. I can be rough. And so I was a hard parent on her and that ruined the relationship, but she is successful now and on her own and working for her dad's company and doing amazing. Um, but that was because of my ghetto parenting. (laughs) Um, But I do, I miss family, but I do, I have in my heart, I know that God will bless my son and I, um, and I write that, I think, even in the book that I hope a hundred million men show up for my son, because there's a point that he comes home and he's having a meltdown and I'm like, oh shit, PTSD trigger. I'm like, oh, oh my God, We're, what? I just paid $149,000 and this is happening again? No, <laughs> and I'm like, crap, what's going on? And so I'm listening and I'm just listening and I'm listening as he's having this meltdown. And we had just left one of um, his travel ball baseball organizational meetings where it was a room of like 200 people and all dads and two moms. And at the end of it, I've got this 14 year old that just starts to cry. And he's like, I just want a dad. I know. I know. And I hugged him and I said, you're going to get there. You do. You're going to promise me. You're going to have a hundred million men show up for you. You know, because at that time, my husband, um, he's just not emotionally available. He's not emotionally available for me. He's not emotionally available for his kids. He just doesn't know how to do that. That's Mm -hmm. something he's working on at 63, going through his healing journey. It's amazing. You know, I said, I just said, you know, Evan, it's his phony name. I don't want to give his real name. I'm like, you will have that. And for the first time this summer, my husband... Did travel ball baseball with my son and they went all over the place and it was his choice to do and if that wasn't divine intervention as as my son michael gets his gets his permit at the age of 15 on a friday (laughs) okay and i'm on the couch have post gallbladder surgery recovery literally like one day in so he gets his permit on a friday And they have a travel ball tournament in, let's say, like four towns over. What does my husband do? Sure, you could drive, puts them on 294 on the expressway. And I'm like, what? (laughs) He's like, it's fine. I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, don't do that again. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, Oh my God. But that, so it's happening. That part is happening and it's going to happen more and it's going to grow more. That abundance comes when we enter that abundance energy vibration.
0: Absolutely. I believe it will happen. Um, I believe it will happen. You said something at the beginning of this uh, conversation and I have to bring it back up because I just spoke about it and it's resonating with me as you said it. But for myself, I uh, felt that I was lacking a lot of things. And you mentioned some of these things, but when whenever some things are removed from your life in regards to like your family members, but God will fill whatever you lack as you progress and get to wherever you're at in life. So if he needs to replace that person with another person, if he needs to fill it with something else, he always does that. But what was key for me with what you said was when I was screwing up and I was making mistakes, I was doing things on my own. But it was not until I was reading through what King Solomon did for him to become the wisest man and the richest man in the book. And what I really realized was he said, I'm gonna make God my life partner and my business partner. And anything that I do, it's gonna be through him. And I love the fact that's what he said in regards to like acknowledging what, si- what Solomon was doing. So I want you to talk a little bit now about it. Like how, how important is your faith towards like your spiritual journey to where you're at now in regards to what you're doing for yourself, what you're doing uh, with your business, when you're speaking, when you're writing, these types of things. How important is your faith uh, towards where you're at
1: now? That's a great question. So I am in the process of starting fall, going back to school to get a master's in theology through Loyola University in Chicago with a woman's understudy. I am that, like into all of it i um practice with with many different spirit guides i mean we, we know we, i'm an empath psychic but i'm also in the process of studying to become a shaman as well too so we mm-hmm. we have spirit guides we have spirit teams that lead us and one happens to be king solomon for me and there's mm-hmm. a couple other ones and so i really use that in regards to when it comes to my business making business decisions especially with partnering up with people because you just, you have to trust your gut on that because I've learned the hard way. I have a heart of gold that just, I trust everybody, you know, and I learned fast that people only want to take from you. They don't want to give. They just, yeah. So it must be a hundred percent aligned and I must get the okay in order to partner up with you. And you're going to have to, sign some hardcore contracts in order to work with me because I just, I've been burned way too much. And I think that's what's, and I think having that boundary is just a nice, safe, protective boundary. In regards to my clients, I help them build their spiritual practice as well. We start slow by trying to figure out where they are, where they wanna go, where, how did they grow up with, because typically we grow up with a Christian type basis. And we, we lose track of that. And I try to connect them to that, if not, then a different type of source, just source energy, um, which is very trendy these days. But ultimately, if we can connect to that somewhere. Uh, and speaking, it's like, I'm all about that. It's speaking about it, it's almost like diarrhea of the mouth. I'm <laughs> very transparent about my faith my guides, what I see, what I hear, um, and, and how it helps me throughout my day. In fact, to the point to where my, my son is just like, oh my God, mom, I cannot, I just cannot even handle hearing it. Will you just zip it?
0: <laughs>
1: I'm like, but I'm telling you, you're going to go down the wrong road if you choose, you know, so, but that's his journey, right? That, that's detachment. And that's the ultimate place we need to get to is relationships. We, you love from a detached point of view, which means you can be you, I can be me. We can love one another unconditionally, but what you're doing doesn't necessarily affect me. And I speak about that because it's just one of the most emotional freedom type of ways of loving
0: i am truly truly inspired as i'm listening to you and hearing your story and man it's so amazing to hear the transformation in your voice and through your story and now you're applying that within your company Um, i'm going to ask you to tell me a little bit more about your company um who do you guys work with who do you guys service um who do you guys help because uh, I'm truly, truly inspired by that. Uh, as I, my follow question will be around your son, but I do want you to talk a little bit about your company, so I can learn a lot more about your company.
1: Yeah. So, you know, it all started when I queried pieces of me. <laughs> I got I got a letter back. It was pre-COVID, like right before COVID hit, and I was working in the veterinary industry. I spent 22 years doing that in and out mm-hmm. hospital management. Um, I got a letter from New York. And they said, we're not saying no, but we're saying nobody knows who you are. And memoirs are hard to sell. And I Uh felt like Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber. I'm like, you're (laughs) telling me there's a chance. (laughs) And I asked my husband, I'm like, okay, can I please quit and build what I want to build? And he knew what I wanted to build, which Uh is She Is You. Sheisyoumag.com basically what we are is a community for midlife women that are seeking healing and reinvention and revitalizing their lives in a community atmosphere. We do this through the membership, um, as well as private coaching. I've been coaching since like 2011, 2010, I think early on mm-hmm. I certified. I've been helping women and I, I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, I think the membership is fantastic. And what we do is we do monthly group coaching together. I have monthly classes that they take, we build these out. We've got, um, a platform that they can communicate with and we do, um, local events here in the Chicagoland area. Like I just had a glow up event for 10 women, um, that came to my house and I had professional makeup, hair photographer. And I told them, just bring a white classic t-shirt and a pair of jeans. And it was their day to make them feel beautiful.
0: Nice, 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 nice.
1: It was wonderful. And that's where it all stemmed from was just the queer. And I love it. And I'm in the process now of creating the digital magazine. Um, This will actually be physical magazine. That's like how determined I am. And you'll see it on every shelf. But for now, I'm starting digital and just going to send it to all my email people. I think I have like an email list of like six to 7,000 because they're interested. They said they were interested. And let's just test it that way. And in that, we have the four principles, spirituality, health and wellness, relationship. And then we do career. And that's what we focus on. But those are like the four pillars of she is you. We need that in you know as women especially midlife women because we that's usually when we awaken that's usually when we transition
0: true enough i um i see that a lot i um i have uh family members and i have friends and i have uh quite a few women friends that are uh coaches consultants and um they don't do exactly what you do but they're kind of in that same space and i noticed that throughout our power circle meetings that we we have, um, they talk a lot about coming into themselves and creating these types of formats where they're just empowering women. And Mm -hmm. I just see, I was talking to my wife and I was telling her, um, you know, I see a difference in her now, you know, just after being divorced and being back together and just seeing her in a different light in a different space where she's like, glowing. And I love when you say, you say, glow up. <laughs> so, um, I, um, I love seeing that in her and I just love seeing that, uh, in a woman. Um, I know I'm a man, but I would like to, um, get a copy of the magazine whenever, um, you put, you put out your next copy. Yes.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. Definitely. I'll need your email for sure. I right. have it. Yeah. And, I'll, um,
0: have it. yeah. I'll, I'll share a copy with my wife too, as well. I think she'd probably mm-hmm. be interested as well too.
1: Awesome. Thank you. That's <laughs> I, yeah, that's what I do. That's who I am. Right. Uh, and I'm in, what's amazing is we'll just break the news here. I've got my second book that I've already started writing.
0: Oh really? Tell me about it. Let's yes. talk about it.
1: Yes. Cause we're looking at publishing it early next spring. Oh
0: wow. It is, it is Congratulations. Cool.
1: Oh yeah. I'm on, I'm on. Yeah. I'm like one of those. I go, do, 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 do. that brain goes. Um, we are going to write about the higher consciousness approach to forgiveness because that's ultimately what this journey has been about for me in my life.
0: I love it because now I, I know that you're operating on a super, super higher vibration. And it seems like, and it's just like what you were saying, like when you're on a different level and people are not on your level, it's just, you're just operating at a different frequency, man. It's just different.
1: Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're less son. No, like no, that. no. Not at all. In fact, you hold more compassion for them.
0: Absolutely not. So I wanted to get to this. And if you could tap into this a little bit more, um, your son. He's experienced a good bit and seen a good bit. And I'm not sure how much you've shared with him, but the impact of your experience has impacted him. How has that inspired you to lead the charge in regards to making sure that you're a role model, you're an example, you're making sure that he's in the best situation, the best life that he could live and ultimately be successful. And I'm saying that as you're someone that has experienced different relationships. In regards to either with a spouse or through a blended family and things like that so you know what the dynamic and relationships are mm-hmm. with kids and your kids and so on and so forth
1: you know uh, evan he is a old soul so he's gonna have a he's gonna have a journey he's at a fork in the road right now so he's gonna be mm-hmm. in high school next year and i'm blessed that for having a 15-year-old, all he wants to do is play baseball and fish. (laughs) I know. I love him so much, but he's so emotionally closed off. And I don't blame him. He's so, when he's ready, he'll have to unpack again. He still sees his therapist that he saw when he was away. Um, We work with him weekly, and I consider that man family. Mm -hmm. But uh, when it comes to emotional things, You know, he's got a lot of his dad's energy in him. And so I hope I'm a good role model with him. But there's, I can see the jealousy, unfortunately. And we're talking about a child here. So we're not talking bad. We, we taught, we hold, we hold the energy for love and compassion. But when he sees me climbing that ladder, I see his father's energy come through and just not want to acknowledge it. Mm. So I've had to learn to detach from that. Uh Um, He'll maybe text me and say, look, I can't tell you good job, mom, but don't, you know, like that. Uh So, and I understand that that's really not him. That's just his dad's energy kind of coming through. Uh Um, But he's, he's all baseball. And I hope that he sees that what I'm doing, cause I tell it to him and it's in the book that I have built all this, I've become all of this to show him that we can do and be whoever we want to be. Wow. Right. Yeah. And he, you know, his goal is to just go straight to the MLB. He's going to, from high school, go straight. If he finishes high school, he says, and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> you have to have a plan B <laughs> plan B. But you have to remember, he's oppositional. So he has oppositional defiance disorder. So it's mm. he, very, and that's another reason where you have to practice detachment. He's got a journey and it might be his journey. And I have to sit back and I can guide him. I can give him suggestions, but at ultimate, at the end of the day, it's going to be his decision, I think, in life. Because I feel two marriages with him. hmm I do. And I do do feel baseball. I don't know if it'll be MLB, but I do feel baseball. And I think for him, baseball is what, in fishing, is peace of mind. Peace of mind. Yeah. Yeah. And he's had that glove in his hand since he was three, and it's just come so natural.
0: How does forgiveness play a part in your life now today in regards to mentally spiritually and physically just releasing things yes
1: Yes. how how
0: important is that for
1: you yes because ladies people men women across the board listen to this because we're going to go deep here i speak about infidelity in the book in the second marriage so my husband currently was not the most faithfulest of men and i thought i was safe marrying somebody that was 17 years older So I held a lot of resentment and a lot of anger towards him, which really was, let's take it deeper. My inner children, because with him being 17 years older, he fulfilled the little girl in me as a father figure, Mm -hmm. the teenager as a mentor and as an adult woman, as a stable husband. So there was, and they opened up and, and, speak about that in my book, about the different archetypes we have in the inner children. And that was the hardest one to let go because I felt betrayed and I felt not good enough. And I speak about that. But when we can get into our heart center, which is our heart chakra, and if we can get into that Mother Mary vibration, Mary Magdalene vibration, that unconditional love vibration. Regardless of who we are, we know that we are naturally born flawed. I mean, we can just go back to the Bible and see that that man is just man's been screwing up since the get go, and God yeah. still loves us. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? A woman, actually. I both, well, anyways, that's a whole other topic. But, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, once I was able to get into that space, that unconditional vibration type of space, I was able to free myself of his behavior and the way he operates, because it really relies back on his eight-year-old seeking validation from people. And he's an addict, he's a former addict. He's clean, he's sober. But back in the day, he was a former addict. And so they seek validation through Mm -hmm. many different forms. And for him, it's it's women, Mm -hmm. you know? So he's on his journey. I wish him the best of luck. It's hard at 63. I laugh sometimes, (laughs) you know, I'm a tough one. I'm like, good luck with that. I've been there. (laughs) You know, but sometimes I have to guide them, too, because I, I feel I feel bad at 63 not knowing who you are. But I have. It's detachment. It's beautiful. Yeah,
0: it's, it's a tough thing when it comes to um, forgiveness. Um, I know we spoke earlier about carrying around baggage and things like that, when it's like, who is it, who is forgiveness for? Is it for me or is it for them, you know, in regards to releasing some of these things as that person probably was not even thinking about you Mm -mm. when you're holding on to baggages and things like that. So it's important for us to just understand the importance of um, just releasing some of these things that we carry around with us. I want to talk a little bit about how do you prioritize uh, your self-worth? You, You taking care of yourself personally when it comes to the practice that you're in now and the relationships that you're in now how do you prioritize those things when you say I need to find time for myself I need to take care of myself I need some me time and I need to incorporate some of these practices into my life so I can have my peace of mind and my sanity can you talk a little bit about that
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are working on in our relationship that it's okay to not be so together all the time. Right. You know, um, it's actually healthy that I can go do my thing, maybe for a day or two, and he can go do his thing for a day or two. And that means like going to work and maybe play golf or whatever. I've created my little she shed woman's bedroom upstairs. I know that I can escape to and shut the door and it's full of crystals and books. And, you know, when I'm up there, he knows not to bother me. Um, and I, I, I just have a firm boundary on this is my time. Mm-hmm. This has been a season of rest for me right now, to be honest with you. And, and he knows that. And I've told him that. So I'm like, and the fact that my son loves the golf, those two are out either fishing or golfing, and I'm okay with it. I'm like, you two go. I'm, I, I love to write, I love to read, I play the cello, I love to work out, I'm a huge faster, I eat very clean, um, and I do a lot of journaling, a lot of journaling. And that is how I feel, I keep it together emotionally and spiritually now mentally, I have huge ADHD, so there's just stuff everywhere. <sighs> but that's, <laughs> but that's maybe the creative brain. I don't know, but I'm disorganized and can I'm that hot mess mom that's like, wait, what email did the principal send? Like, picture day was yesterday. Oh, shit. <laughs> But they know me by now and they know that I'm busy. I've got so many pokers going on and and multiple fires, but it's all to build a legacy for my son.
0: Absolutely. Felicity, what was the pivotal moment in your life? Because I've listened to your story and I've listened to your journey. But what was the pivotal moment where you came to yourself and said, this is it. This is enough. And my life is going to go into this direction. And I'm not looking back. When was that moment for you? What, what story? What, what happened? Let, let, let me hear that story.
1: I love that question. I love I that really question. question. A year and a half ago. A year and a half ago. Wow. That's what happened. That's how long it has taken me. To finally put that boundary down and say, this is what's acceptable. This is what's not acceptable. And you can either get on board with what I am doing, which is like operating out of integrity and trust and love and this and that. Or you're going to be plucked. Mm. And it was about a year and a half ago. And that even includes extended family, like like his family as well, too, because I've had to even make a boundary and just not attend family functions on his side, because it uh, I'm value, my time is valued.
0: Right. My,
1: as a human, I'm, I should be valued, but nobody will give me the time of day to even say hello. Mm. So yeah, about a year and a half ago, and it's it's beautiful. And so far, everybody's been on board. And if they haven't, that's on them but this is how I'm running my life. Yeah.
0: Oh, my God. I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. I, um, when I was in the Marine Corps, we always talked about all of our core values and things like that. But I had a, uh, a gunnery sergeant when I was in Iraq and he sat me down and he was telling me every single thing that you do, you have to learn how to take ownership and responsibility for it and he went a little bit deeper and he said you gotta learn how to take extreme ownership for yourself and i didn't really understand what he meant by that and you kind of clearly broke it down though based off what you just said like Mm
1: -hmm.
0: understanding what does felicity like what does felicity love understanding all of the things that are super, super important to you and you don't need anybody's validation or anything like that. <laughs> I think that is so, so extremely important. I wanted to finish up on this question here because I think it's it's, it's extremely important for our listeners to understand who you are some of the things that you've accomplished um, your experiences that you've just shared with us. And if you can leave us with as much as you want, I'm going to leave the floor to you because I know that you're filled up with wisdom and knowledge, but can you leave us with some life lessons, some business lessons, some personal lessons, some family lessons, some gems that we could have as some key takeaways. I know that there is a woman that's listening I know that there's a kid that could have been through some of the things that um you've been through as a kid, and I know that they could share this podcast with them, they could share this message, and I think that your story is so inspirational. so I'm going to leave the floor to you, and if i if I missed out on something, um, I'm going to leave that to you too as well, but I would love for you to share with us some uh, some key takeaways, some key lessons that our listeners could take away and just um, important to their lives as well.
1: okay um regardless of what stage of the game you are in life, whether you're still that little kid underneath a family of brokenness, remember that you are loved and that you are not alone, that God is always with you. For those children out there that are abandoned in homeless shelters by their families, you are not alone You are, and that you are loved. God is with you. Mm-hmm. Um, in regards to women, I can't preach this enough. We do not chase anything. We attract. So we stop at chasing, 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 chasing one man after another for what? It's it just stops. It stops. Do the work and and attract. And in regards to business, I think Michael, you and I would both agree, we just you hit it hardcore 110%. And I fumbled my way to success. And I'm very, I own that. I own that. I own that. I don't have a business degree. I have no idea. I, but I dived in head and feet and figured it out and, and still figuring out with some great mentors. And I think it's possible for anybody to do what we're doing. Don't let anybody tell you not. And that's what I always tell my son. Don't let anybody tell you you cannot do something because... We can, we, you can, there's where there's a will, there's a way.
0: One thousand percent. Felicity, this has been an absolute pleasure of mine to interview you all the way from Chicago. Um, I have a special, special spot in my heart for Chicago. I love uh, Rush University, the people out there. I love the city of Chicago. Uh, me and my wife always talk about going back to visit just because we love that we've been there. I think three times we've been to Chicago and it's just always been amazing. The people there, has been amazing. Shopping is amazing. <laughs> so, yes, um, so And I actually will be in Chicago, not necessarily Chicago, but I will be in Chicago here in the next two weeks. I'll be there. I'll be jumping out of an airplane.
1: <laughs> are you? Are you just coming to skydive?
0: <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I'll be there. So I have a good friend uh, with the uh, nonprofit called Oscar Mike. So okay. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Oscar Mike, but if you pull up Oscar Mike, um, I'll be there with them for an entire week, and I'll be connecting with uh, other veterans, and um, I'll be helping um, speak with some other veterans, and then doing some activities there too as well. But I'm meeting with the um, owner of the company, and then um, there's another guy that's coming there that um, he's a—I uh, don't know how you want to say it—but um, he's in a wheelchair, so he has He, he uses a wheelchair. To, he, he uses a wheelchair to play golf. So um, so um, I'll be there to see that and just um, talk to these guys and um, have some fun, too, as well. You know what I mean? So I'll be there doing that. So. But yes, Chicago is a very special place for me as well.
1: I love it. I love it. Good job.
0: Thank you. Thank you. So with that being said, without any further ado, I just want to tell you, thank you so much for being here. If anybody wanted to work with you, um, do business with you. Um contact you for a speaking engagement for a podcast, um, inquire about your book or anything like that. How can it get a hold of you?
1: Hello at sheisumag.com. That's the email or the website. You want my phone number, my address? No. <laughs> <laughs> but hello at sheisumag.com is the email. And it's on the website as well, too. There's a contact form. And we just hit me up. I'm there. I'm there. I'm there at night. I mean, I, I'll take phone calls for clients at night. In regards to speaking engagements, oh, my God, I'm so ready. Yes. Absolutely,
0: it's, it's absolutely, fun. absolutely. Well, guys, just another episode that we just wrapped up with my good friend, Miss Felicity, Nicole. I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Until next time, we love you. Peace.
1: Yes, thank you.
0: Bye-bye.
1: Awesome. Thank
0: Can't complain at all couple dollars in my pocket no and come and go been working on my body getting healthier thank
1: God for clarity oh thank you that was awesome.